Pastor, good, good morning. Again, it's good to be with you. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 16, verse 33. This morning in the Sunday school hour, I probably depressed you because I talked about all the various things going wrong in the world. There are preachers that you will hear on the television or radio that will tell you that God always wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And they promise prosperity if you just name it and claim it and all those kinds of things. Usually it involves sending them some money, seed money of some kind. Uh, I have, last year I taught through the Gospel of John. Now, I, I want to preface one thing. Um, I have a new Bible because I had to get a large print. I uh, have developed cataracts. And so I'm having trouble seeing the fine print. And so even this print in the large print is a little difficult sometimes. But uh, Barbara got hearing aids last year. I'm getting cataract surgery this year. I, I can't see, she can't hear, so we decided we better stick together. <laughs> Balance is out pretty good that way. I taught through the Gospel of John last year at North Star Bible Institute, and as I did, I came across a verse, you know how you've read and studied the Bible for years and somehow the Holy Spirit's able to take something and bring it out that, well, I haven't noticed that before. Jesus concludes his talk with his disciples in the upper room and then on, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane with these words, these things have I spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Father, take the word of God now and encourage us and help us. Uh, Lord, we need your help. These are troubled times. We look at our world and we see things falling apart and our country going down. And Lord, we know that none of that takes you by surprise or is news to you. We believe that you are preparing for Christ's return, but Lord, we're living right now and we need... We need a message from God. And so I pray that you'd use me as a clay vessel, not to proclaim your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. When you get to John chapter 13, you are entering a holy place. I almost feel when I get to, in that section of scripture that I ought to take off my shoes. The Lord Jesus is gathered with his disciples the night before his betrayal. He is described as being in heaviness and sorrowful. The Lord Jesus, I don't think, normally was a, a person that was in sorrow, although he's called a man of sorrows. I think Jesus was basically a person that you'd enjoy being around. Children were attracted to him, and children are not attracted to people that are, are down all the time. But this night, he was, he was in heaviness. He understood that he was gathering with his disciples one last time before the crucifixion. Before the night would be over, he would be arrested. The next morning, he would be tried early, very early in the morning. By 9 o'clock, he would be nailed to a cross and die for the sins of the world. This was a very emotional time for the Lord Jesus. It was an emotional time for the disciples. They were confused. They didn't understand. Jesus had talked about his death on more than one occasion, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand it or even they denied it. But now the reality is going to hit them square in the face. They're going to about to enter the worst time in their whole life. 
the greatest crisis of their life is about to take place as Jesus Christ will be crucified. They've placed all their hopes in him. For three years, they've traveled with him. They've learned from him. They've listened to him. They have asked even in this time, which of us will be the greatest in the kingdom? They're expecting him to announce his kingdom. The Sunday before, the multitudes has cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. But the next day, they're going to be crying, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus speaks to his disciples one last time. John's the only one that records the details of what he said that night, and he records them in great detail for us. There's actually chapters 14, 15, 16 are just Jesus' words for the most part. If you have a red-letter Bible, you notice almost all of it's red, in red, because this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Occasionally they ask questions or they say they don't understand, but primarily that's what it's about. In the chapter 13, he has gathered with them and he girds a towel on and he washes their feet. And Peter says, Lord, I, you know, I can't have you wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no part of me. Well, in that case, Lord, give me a bath. You know, do the whole thing. You know, you don't need a bath, Peter. You just need your feet to be washed. Jesus has said, one of you will betray me. And the disciples did not say, is it Judas? They all said, is it I? They had self-doubt. They were filled with fear. They didn't understand what was going on. They were confused. And so Jesus speaks to them. Now he tells them first at this end verse, these things have I spoken to you that you, in me you might have peace. That is something God wants us to have. He expects us to have peace. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We have atonement, at-one-ment is the way that it could be defined. We're, we're enemies with God, but now through the cross we become the children of God. We can have the forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful truth that is. You can have peace, the peace of God. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Now, he's not talking about the tribulation proper, that seven-year period that will come on the earth. He's talking about difficulties or trouble. He said flat out, listen, in the world you're going to have trouble. There are people, as I said, who think that uh, that's, you know, if you're saved, boy, all your troubles are over. Yeah, it really doesn't work out that way. Didn't for me. Probably didn't for you either. So there is... This sense of what's going on and Jesus says, I've spoken unto you these things that in me you might have peace. So as I thought about that, I said, well, what things? And I found three things that Jesus promised that can help you through difficult times. Now, you either are in difficult times, you're headed for difficult times, or you're just coming out of difficult times. Because that is the lot of man on the earth. We do have difficulties, trials. All of us face problems, and that's just a part of life. We understand that. So what things? How do we get through things? Turn to chapter 14. The first thing is the promise of heaven. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The first promise Jesus gave is the promise of heaven. It was a surprising thing for a lot of pastors I talked with during the COVID crisis that how many of their people were afraid. Fear dominated a lot of people's lives. I spoke to you last year when I was here about fear, so I'm not going to do it again now. But when you're, you're a child of God, you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, what happens when you die? Well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All right, so is that so bad? Heaven is described in a lot of ways in the Bible. It's described as being a city. It's described as being a country, a heavenly country. But my favorite is it's the Father's house. It's a home. It's the home of the redeemed. It's where we're going when we die. Now, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's the key to life. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 says, neither is any other name given under, men among, uh, given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. The Word of God says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the promise of God. And that promise includes not only the forgiveness of sins, but a home in heaven. What will that home be like? Well, there'll be no sorrow there. There will be a judgment. In that judgment, there will be tears, but then God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no sickness. We live in a world that's filled with sickness. COVID took many of our friends and other diseases, cancer and heart attacks and all of those, those, those things will all be passed. No sickness. There'll be no separation. We'll never have to stand beside a casket and say goodbye to a loved one. In fact, as Christians now, we no longer have to say goodbye when a person dies. We simply say goodnight. I'll see you in the morning. Yesterday was the seventh anniversary of my mother's death. At her casket, after I had the, the service, I put my hand in the casket and said, Good night, Mom. I'll see you in the morning. And I will, because she trusted Christ as her Savior. Amen. A home in heaven. No more separation. No more sorrow. No more sin. We struggle. Acts 6 talks about that struggle. Acts 7, Romans 7, and Romans 6 and 7 tells us about the struggle we all have with that old nature. Uh, we want to do right, and somehow we find ourselves doing wrong. We, we try and try, and really part of the Christian life is learning to give it to God and allow Him to live through us, to empower us. But someday... I, I'm saved now from the penalty of sin. That was in the past. I am being saved now from the practice of sin or power of sin. That's sanctification. And in the future, I'll be saved from the very presence of sin when I'm in heaven. Uh, John says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. 
We're, we're not like him as much as we'd like to be, but one day we'll be conformed to his image. We'll be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what will heaven be like? Well, the Bible describes it as streets of gold. Men live all their lives to accumulate gold. You can hear commercials on TV. Gold is the safe investment. James said, weep and howl, you rich men, for your gold is corrupt. So don't buy gold thinking that's going to be a safety measure. No, our treasures laid up in heaven. Uh, not where rust and moth can corrupt it, but in a place where it's reserved for us, a reward. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. I thought about a lot about heaven in the last year. I thought about people I'd like to meet in heaven and talk to. I'd like to meet my grandparents on my mother's side. Never met them before. I'd like to see my mother and dad again. They're both with the Lord. I'd like to see some characters in the Bible. I'd like to sit down and talk with Paul and Peter and John. And I'd like to talk with Thomas and say, why did you, you know, get that nickname, Doubter? Because I've had plagued with that all my life. Doubting Thomas. No, I don't. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to talk to Ezekiel and say, would you please explain that book to me? <laughs> That'll, it's going to take a while. But I've got all eternity. You know, if I was going on vacation, I'd look ahead and want to think about what I'm going to do, what I'm going to see. So you and I ought to think a little bit about heaven from time to time and think of what it's going to be like. Man, it's, it's going to be glorious. Most of all, I want to see the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to sit at his feet as Mary did and just learn from him. I'd just like to have him teach me. What a day that'll be. There is a picture that I have that uh, I see once in a while in use of what it's like to go to heaven. And the picture is the Lord Jesus Christ wrapping his arms around the saint. That's what I think heaven will be like. I think you're going to hear the Lord himself say, welcome home. Welcome home. You know, home is that place where you're always welcome. <laughs> home is that place where you feel secure. Home is that place where love abounds. It should be that way anyway. Heaven is all of those things. What a day that'll be. When my Jesus I shall see, when I look on his face, the one who saved me by his grace. I'm going there. I have that promise right here. The promise of heaven. And how to get there? Well, the only way you get there is through Jesus Christ. Now, there are people that take this verse, and you may have heard it explained this way, that Jesus is on some kind of construction project building a place for you. And that's the way a lot of people understand the passage. But what Jesus is really talking about is he's going to go to the cross. He's talking throughout that text, throughout that evening. He's in the upper room now in chapter 12, 13 and 14. Then he moves, they move, and are walking back to the garden. So he's talking to them along the way. And finally, he concludes in verse 33 in chapter 16 with that statement, These things have I spoken unto you. But what he's talking about throughout that whole time is, I'm going to go away. They've been with him for three years. Now he's talking about going away. Thomas says, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. We don't know where you're going. Well, he has explained it before. I'm going to the cross and then I'm going to the Father. And why is he doing that? I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
You see, there would be no place for us in heaven if Jesus Christ hadn't died on the cross for our sins. He redeemed us through his blood. In order for a person to be redeemed in the Old Testament, they had a debt they could not pay. So a kinsman redeemer, someone that was related, number one, they had to be related to the person. Secondly, they had to be able to meet the price. And thirdly, they had to be willing. You see that in the story of Ruth and Boaz. Boaz was a kinsman. He was able to pay the debt, and he was willing to take Ruth and redeem her. The Lord Jesus had to become one of us in order to redeem us. He had to become a man. But to redeem all of us, to be able to do that, he had to be God. So he was both God and man. Not two individuals, but one individual. He is the God-man. And then he had to be willing. Now the able part, he had to be without sin. If he had his own sin, then he could not have died for my sin, your sin. If he was only a man, he could die for one of us. But since he is God, he can die for all of us. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things are written to you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Even his enemies had to admit, Judas the betrayer said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate the judge said, I find no fault in this man. Jesus could stand and say, which of you convicteth me of sin? And there's not one person that could do it. In John chapter 8, when the woman was taken in adultery and brought before Jesus, and the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, wandered stone, asking Jesus, what shall you do? He said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Do you realize Jesus is the only one that could have cast a stone? The only one. But he forgave her sin. Because he knew what he was going to do. He would pay for our sins. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though we were poor, yet for your sakes, though we were rich, he became poor. That for you, through his poverty, might be made rich. You think of the Lord Jesus and what it meant for him. There's a song, Out of the Ivory Palaces. Remember that? Think of the Lord Jesus in heaven, stepping down off the throne being willing to be born as a babe in Bethlehem, to live in this sin-cursed world for 33 years, to teach and preach and do miracles, for 30 years in obscurity, no one knew where he was, who he was, and then he comes out publicly at his baptism. For three years he ministers. It ends with him crying out, crucify him. He knew what he was getting into before he got started. He knew how this would end. He knew what it would cost him to become sin for us. It's one of those verses I don't really comprehend, and I don't think it can be comprehended by the human mind. He who knew no sin became sin for us. How did he become sin? Well, I know the Bible says God poured out his wrath on him, but what an amazing thing. He went to prepare a place for you. For me, that place called heaven. 
Now, if Jesus could create the world in seven days, I don't think it took him, or six days and rest the seventh, I don't think it took him 2,000 years to build a place for you. I think he's quite capable of doing it. But what he did do is on that cross, he paid so you could have a place in heaven. The ticket's been purchased. Your ticket to heaven's been purchased, but you have to claim it. It don't do, want to be any good unless you receive it as your Savior, him as your Savior. Well, number two, this first thing is the promise of heaven. If we've taken care of the fear of death, which should pretty well take care of everything, what, what can happen to you? Well, nothing can take that from you. Uh, there was a Christian martyr that was brought before a leader, and he wanted to threaten him, and he said, if you don't do what I say and renounce Christ, I'm going to take all of your wealth. He said, my wealth is in heaven. Go ahead. I'll take your home. My home's in heaven. I'll take your life. Oh, that would be a beginning of life forever. The world doesn't understand that. See, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, the future could be pretty bleak for you. I don't know how people face it, face cancer and all the other things that they face in this world. Well, number two, verse 16, Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it knoweth him, neither knoweth him, him, but ye know him, for he that dwelleth, uh, he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So he's talking about a helper. He said, now I'm going to go away. A little while, you're not going to see me anymore, but I will not leave you without a comforter. The word comfort here, comforter here is in the Greek is paraclete. Uh, the translation works real well. It means with strength. The Holy Spirit was given to be our helper. The Holy Spirit came to help us. How does he help us? Well, number one, he is in us. In my Bible, I circle those two words, with and in. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was with believers. In the New Testament, he's in the believer. That's the difference between the Old and New Testament. Jesus said, wait to his disciples after his resurrection. He said, you wait, Jerusalem, until you be endued with power. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He came on the day of Pentecost and he dwelt the church. In the Old Testament, the believer had to go to the temple to meet with God. You and I, he lives within. He dwells within us. We have the Holy Spirit. Now, there are people who say, well, that only happens to special people that ask for No, no. This happens for every Christian. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans 8, 9. 1 Corinthians 12 says, By one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be bond or free. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or what color you are. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. Now the big question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? You can have the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. You're a Christian. He's in you, but does he have you? Do you respond to him? He's the comforter. He's the one that gives you strength or enables you to do what you need to do. Now, it's described here as being the spirit of truth. The world can't receive him, but you can receive him. 
In fact, he will be in you. He dwelleth in you. If you drop down to verse 26, the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost in King James, when the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and have all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. If I were one of the disciples and the Lord saying, look, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave, and you're going to take my mission to the world, remember what I've taught you. I'd be thinking, how in the world can I remember all that he said? How could I handle this? Well, you're not going to do it by yourself. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you. He's going to, first, he's going to guide you into truth. When you were saved, you entered school. You began to learn the Word of God. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do it? He does it through the Word of God. He guides you into truth. What is the truth? The truth is the Word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. John 17, verse 17. Thy Word is truth. God guides us and directs us. Now, most of the world today believes lies, all kinds of lies. But you and I have the truth. We have the Word of God. We know what the Word of God said. We should know. And, well, I don't know all that it said. Well, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will guide you. He'll teach you. The Bible's a unique book in that it's the only book you'll ever read with the author sitting with you while you're reading it. And will help you understand it. That's what he does. He guides you into truth. And he brings things to remembrance. All of us who have witnessed to somebody have testimony of times when God brought a verse to mind that was just what you needed for that particular time. He reminds you. Now, you drop down to chapter 15, verse 27. And ye shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Verse 26 says... And when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit came to help you to be a witness. That's why he came. Acts 1.8, But ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the commission of the church. That's what we're supposed to do. You were saved not only to serve the Lord, but also to share Christ with others, to tell other people what Christ has done. You don't have to do it by yourself. In fact, if you do it by yourself, nothing good will happen. What we need is the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and apply it to a person's heart. The Holy Spirit's the one who brings a person to salvation. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts of sin. We'll see that in just a second. He's the one who convinces a person. They came when you sat through a service or heard a presentation of the gospel or read a gospel track or heard something on the radio and it just clicked inside your brain. This is truth. And you responded by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Who did that? Was that you? No, that was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that convicts. D.L. Moody once had a drunk come up to him and said, Mr. Moody, I'm one of your converts. Moody looked at him and said, you must be. You're sure not the Lord's. <laughs> See, unless the Lord does the work, nothing really would be accomplished. Is there a time in your life when you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and responded by saying yes to him? Have you been to that place? 
Have you, as a Christian, watched him work in somebody's heart? Uh, I think of a man that I once talked to that was Jewish, and as I talked with him, it seemed like the scales fell off his eyes. I remember the passage of being blind. The Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our friend. Chapter 16, he talks about what he'll do in the world. I mentioned this Sunday school, the world's a mess. What is the Holy Spirit going to do? Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. Righteous because they, I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit is going to convict of sin. The next verse, Jesus said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when the, Holy, when the Spirit of truth is come... He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but shall, whatsoever he shall hear, he shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you. He's going to guide you into truth. Now, part of the evidence of that is the Gospels. The disciples did remember what Jesus said. By inspiration of Scripture, they were able to record the Gospels for us. But here, the, it's many things to say unto you. Have you noticed... As you read the Bible, you, I've read it through many, many times. I still find new things. Now, they're not really new things because they were there all the time, but I, kind of, I didn't notice that there before. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's called illumination. The Holy Spirit not only inspired the scriptures, he also illuminates the scriptures so that we can understand them. And there are times when we need it. Now, uh, Brother Larry is an evangelist. Um, have you had a, somebody in a church come up and say, you preached to me? I've never heard that before. And you know the pastor's preached it. And the pastor will be standing there and he knows he's preached it. But I've never heard that before. It's because you weren't able to digest it right then. But God can bring it to your mind. The Holy Spirit does that minute. That's part of what he does. We have the blessed Holy Spirit living in us. And because of that, we're never alone. We're never abandoned. The world could be pretty lonely for widows, widowers. The world could be pretty lonely for those who've gone through the tragedy of a divorce. But you're never alone. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and he's always there to help you, to comfort you. I like that term, the comforter. It means with strength, but I like the idea of he's there to comfort us, to comfort us. What a glorious friend we have. And then thirdly and lastly, there's the promise of hope. He says it several times, but go back to chapter 14, where he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will do what? Come again. He's going to go to the cross, but he's going to come again. Death is not the end of Jesus Christ. 
and death will not be the end of you either. Christ is coming back. He rose from the dead three days. In chapter 16, he says, you're going to have sorrow and the world will rejoice, but your sorrow is going to be turned to joy. Man, it must have been wonderful to be one of those disciples on Easter Sunday morning. They had a horrible experience. They had seen Jesus die, most from a distance. John, right up front. They had seen him die. They knew he was dead. And then word comes to them. Some of the women have been to the tomb, and they said they saw him. It can't be. They run to the grave. John and Peter run, and, and John believes we stole, but Peter, he didn't know what's going on. But that night, as they're gathered in that upper room in fear of the Romans, suddenly Jesus appears in the midst and says, Peace be unto you. Man, that must have been a... Wouldn't it be great to go to a funeral and have that happen? Somebody come home. He lives. He lives. He's not dead. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I see him in action. He lives, and because he lives, we have a hope. Now, hope here is not just, I hope it doesn't rain like that. It's, it's a confidence in the future. I've read the last chapter in the book, folks. We win. We win. Because Jesus Christ is going to come back to earth, and he's going to set up his kingdom. And he's going to straighten out Albany and Washington and everything in between. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to take care of the whole thing because we serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. What's he doing right now? Well, I think he's bringing all things together for that end game. Did you see this week in uh, the news that Israel's announced, or some people in Israel have announced they find, found five red heifers? The red heifers required for the rededication of the temple and thus far, they've not been able to find a pure red heifer. But they announced this week they found five. Things are getting ready for our Lord's return. I'm listening for the trumpet. I have a hope that my king is coming back soon. So how do I face troubled times? Well, I have a home in heaven. So I don't have to worry about dying. I have a helper, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in me, who will teach me all things. And I have a hope. And the hope is the promise is going to be Christ's return, but the promise is like he works all things together for my good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. We have a confidence. But listen, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, none of that applies to you. You have every reason to be very afraid, and you should be afraid. In fact, you should be terrified. Because you're only a heartbeat away from hell and judgment. If you're a Christian, Jesus said, These things have I spoken to you that you might have peace in the world. You'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Annie Johnson Flint wrote a song that I like, or a poem. I can find it in the Stu Bible. God hath not promised, sky is always blue, flower strewn pathways all our lives through. 
God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trial, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God hath not promised we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He hath not told us we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God hath not promised smooth roads and wide, easy, swift, easy travel, needing no guide. Never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turbid and deep. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trial, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. You can trust him with your life. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, God, you brought comfort to those who need it, but also conviction to those who need to come to Christ. And Father, if there are people here that are Christians that have been worrying, instead of having the peace of God that passes all understanding, they become worrywarts, just worrying about this and anxious about the other thing. I pray, God, that you'd help them today to see their need to trust you, even in difficult times. In Jesus' name, amen.